The Retrograde Approach, Episode 1, The Fellowship Exam. the retrograde approach i'm your host sam farah and i'm joined by my co-host and your friend and mine yogi siva kumaran yogi how are you good evening how are you good um well thank you for the introduction sam um broadly speaking today we're going to look at uh, a very brief introduction into uh this podcast but also um have a discussion about preparation for the fellowship exam itself Uh, Sam, uh, it'd be fair to say that um, podcasts have taken uh, a a broader leap, especially in the medical profession, Uh, but we see the Retrograde Approach podcast as a means for discussion amongst Australasian fellows and particularly those who have recently completed the training program as a means to not only um, debate some of the hot topics but also provide some helpful advice and um, tips and tricks to our uh, trainees that are currently going through the program itself. Um, We are aiming to do a weekly podcast as a means of keeping this current and up to date. And I think this is a good point to then move on to our topic of discussion today, uh, Sam, which is preparation for the fellowship exam. And it might be a good place to start by asking you about how, how do you apply for the fellowship exam itself? Thanks, Yogi. Well, the application process uh, in some regards starts quite early in terms of making sure you've ticked off some of the basic requirements of vascular surgery training. So that includes your 100 hours of uh, ultrasound, completing 10 case reports, your research requirement, uh, as well as obviously uh, satisfactory completion of your prior terms, as well as the uh, basic uh, College of Surgeon uh, courses, including ASSET and EMST. Once you've done those requirements uh, towards the end of fourth year, you have a discussion with your supervisor or they will approach you and ask what your plans are uh, for the fellowship exam. And at that point, you, re- you really should at the end of fourth year have an idea about or towards the end of fourth year when you're actually going to sit. So whether that will be the first sitting in April, May, or the second sitting towards September and October. They will then uh, provide a letter to the college uh, with your supervisor's name and signature on it saying, I believe that uh, the trainee is uh, ready to sit the exam. Does that sound fairly familiar to you, Miyagi? Absolutely. And uh, together with the letter from your training supervisor to the board, you also have your own letter that you write to the board yourself to acknowledge that you do wish to sit for the exam. Uh, A further comment is that whilst the traditional timeline to the fellowship exam is uh, a process that starts in your fourth year of training, it's not uncommon for people to apply to sit the fellowship exam earlier. And that is really a personal uh, decision between yourself and your training supervisor as to whether you have meet the adequate training requirements to sit the exam. Uh, And I think it's... It, it is an important stepping stone in your training, the point at which you are ready to sit the fellowship exam. And I think uh, it's a very important point to reflect on um, prior to committing to it because the once you once you do sign up for the exam, it it begins the process of um, long study, but also a, a reflection not only of your last year of training, but also the the four years prior. Uh, and that's what makes you who you are when you sit your fellowship. So just some of the other topics today, Yogi, what else are we going to cover in, in regards to the uh, fellowship? Well, the other areas of discussion uh, in, in our podcast today, we were going to look at some just very general information about the exam, its structure, uh, some of our pre-exam courses that exist for vascular surgical trainees, how you go about creating your study timetable, um, and also covering some of the challenges that exist in the current environment with COVID and what that may mean for you depending on the state you're in. But also finally touching on some um, general ideas of things we wish we knew before going into the exam. 
um, and hopefully that gives um, a broad perspective on preparation for the fellowship exam itself. So just in regards to the uh, general structure, we had a bit of a reshuffle this year with the general arrangement of the exam, which used to have an anatomy component, but the general structure of having seven components remained, being the written exam, two operative vivas, an imaging station, a clinical decision-making station, long cases and short cases. So the Viva components uh, run over three days and start about five weeks after the written exam, but we do see some variability in that scheduling. What was your uh, recollection of the written exam, Yogi? Uh, so my reflections on the written clinical exam um, was that it occurred within an examination venue, which we're all pretty familiar with given um, it's usually where the GSCC typically occurs within your state uh, with the exam delivered through an electronic means um, with the question and the text box to answer adjacent to each other with an automated timing process, which updates uh, on the page that you're on. Uh, typically, it's done in a room with multiple other trainees from multiple other specialties all sitting at the same time. Uh, and so um, it's, a, it's a pretty high-stress, high-strung environment. Um, saying that, though, the particular structure to the exam is one long essay and five short questions with two hours and ten minutes in total, including reading time. Um, and the particular aspect of the written exam is there is one non-technical question uh, which uh, is consistent across the board with all specialties um, and in the 2020 exam uh, there were two non-technical questions uh, in, in the short answer for the vascular surgical uh, exam itself. Uh, preparation really uh, for the clinical uh, for the written exam sorry is twofold one is about exam endurance and the second is about the knowledge base that you need to have in sitting the exam. And it's pretty fair to say, Sam, that when you come to the written exam, you're at the prime of your knowledge base, and I hope you agree with that. Yeah, that can be a blessing and a curse, but uh, I, I feel, you know, in terms of when I arrived at the written exam, I probably had 90 to 95% of the total knowledge I had compared to uh, when I got to the Vivas. And I think, you know, absolutely everything you're going to know because there's a bit of time between the written and the vivas but but certainly you, you're really getting up there in terms of um your knowledge and i think the sort of to, to the second part of the question the exam endurance is an important consideration and preparing for the exam the time frame uh that you need to put into each of these questions and how you um time yourself to go through the exam is fundamentally important. The second issue I think that's worth discussing is the equipment that you use to sit your exam is maybe quite different to what you practice at home. And in particular, the keyboard structure, um, which uh, you are comfortable with and can write quickly with, may not be what will be what may not be what will happen on the day because of the particular keyboard that they have available. And you as a candidate sitting the fellowship exam, can write to the college to clarify the type of keyboard that's used to help prepare you for that exam. And I think any any particular psychological advantage that you can have in that environment, which is already high stress, is very much relevant to your success in this exam. And um, I think that's a an important point to remember. Yeah, so I think, you know, we both uh, managed to individually track down the Lenovo keyboard that was used um i think actually practicing with the keyboard yeah as you as you said makes a big difference i'm sure the people at lenovo would have noticed a sudden upturn in the sales of that particular keyboard in april and september but uh certainly you know if you're practicing on a macbook keyboard you may struggle when you get to exam time if you haven't used the real thing um and i and i think that it um also just affects the flow in which the exam is performed on the day. So any, any advantage that you have to succeed is in your best interest. We should just touch on 
you know, the individual approaches we use when we set the written. How did you time yourself during the exam? I think most people feel fairly time pressured. Yeah. And so there's, it is an exam where you will feel like you'll write for the entire two hours and 10 minutes. So I gave myself an hour to do the long question, which is divided typically into four smaller questions. Uh, so it works out to be 15 minutes for each component. And then I gave myself a second hour to do the five short questions, which works out to be about 12 minutes per question. Now, uh, I think it's important that you do move on when you reach your time limit. Uh, otherwise, you will, will find it very hard to complete the exam uh, and you'll feel disappointed that you haven't given yourself the best opportunity to answer the questions. Um, saying that, Sam, I did take a couple of minutes at the start of my written paper to go through the exam and think about mentally how I was going to approach a question and specifically the long case because the stem of the uh, question and then the subsequent sub-points help guide your discussion that you will eventually put through in the four components. With the short questions, um, reflecting on some, sometimes they can be relevant but not necessarily. Um, but I think it's important that you give yourself a strict time frame in which you're going to adhere to to then move on. If I could take you a step back in my preparation for the written exam, I uh, initially practiced sticking to the time limit itself, but as I got closer to the exam, I tried to do the paper in shorter time frames to try and build up some endurance, not only with my words per minute, uh, touch typing, but also in terms of trying to trigger my brain into getting myself ready to get into exam mode with a question. And finally, I took every topic that was relevant to the fellowship exam and tried to write out a statement, a paragraph, a segment of prose that I could then use as the starting point for further discussion. I think towards the, the end before the written, we were sort of writing practice exams and practice questions for each other. How did, how did you find that process? Writing questions for each other is an awesome way of working well as a study group. Um, it gives you an awesome opportunity to uh, not only figure out where you sit in comparison to your colleague, but it also allows you to build uh, a very intimate and uh, collegial approach to learning. Um, it gives you the opportunity to uh, provide some honest feedback to your colleagues, but also to hear about some good things that you're putting into, especially in terms of your writing. Um, and it, it gives you a, a very good perspective of where you stand. I'd encourage it. I think it's a very important way of building um, confidence in yourself, but confidence as a group, because I think a good confidence study group allows you to succeed in this exam. And this exam isn't really about being an island. It's about being uh, a collective because that's what will allow you to succeed. Do you have any idea how much you would write in a practice paper? How many words? Uh, I think on average about 3,000 words. Yeah. So, um, uh, and that's, that's a very average uh, sort of word count. Um, it depends. I think it really depends on the sort of questions that are put forward but, and also the exam questions itself. Um, sometimes you're just a little bit stronger on content. You might have recently read up on a topic and you can uh, regurgitate things a lot quicker. Um, I, I think, though, it'd be pretty fair to say it's quality, not quantity, that's important with these written exams. Um, and, you know, you can write a lot in a statement or a paragraph, but if it doesn't really answer the question, then it's irrelevant to your whole discussion. Do you think that's a fair sort of comment? I do. Um, and that sort of, um, I guess, touches on the point of dot points in the exam and writing a full paragraph. So before the written exam, we all received a letter from the board saying, don't write dot points. So, I mean, certainly I think it's reasonable to do some dot points if you're making a short list potentially of investigations and why they might be important. But certainly in my written exam, almost all of it was full paragraph sentences. Yeah. Would you agree with that? 
Absolutely. And I think, I think the, you know, um, a, a mentor of mine said, you know, the exam is about demonstrating advanced thinking. Um, you're trying to demonstrate capacity as a first year vascular surgical consultant. Uh, whilst dot points allows you to abbreviate the process, I really do think you need to aim to communicate your ideas as succinctly as you can, because that is what you're going to do in, in practice. Exactly. Um, you know, you're not answering the question like you're a, a professor of uh, several years experience, but what, what is reasonable for you to do? Or what would you do if you were presented with the, with the question being asked? Yeah. And I think, I think that's a pretty fair way to approach this exam. And I think it's a mindset aspect to it as well, which is, um, you know, you're about to take the step, next step forward to independent clinical practice. Uh, and so that's where your mindset needs to be as you're heading into the exam. Yeah. So, you know, if your registrar or your resident called you about a problem, what would you do? If it, were, if it were up to you to deal with it in a safe, in a safe way. Um, Sam, I guess that it's probably here it's worthwhile talking about some of the pre-exam courses that exist for vascular surgery. Did you want to briefly touch on them and our experience from that? Yeah, so I think, you know, in recent times, fortunately, WAVE has, has come into existence. And it's really, I think, particularly even strengthened the AVT experience. So... Uh, WAVE, uh, I think it stands for Western Australia Vascular Education, but is basically a, an early exam course that is ran generally in January, and I don't think it's been running for the last three years. But the, the general idea of WAVE is it gives you an overview and some guidance as to what each component of the exam is like, whereas we, when you get to AVT, you're expected to uh, sit the exam in many ways, like as if it were a dry run. So you don't really get that sort of uh, walkthrough experience. So when you're at WAVE, there'll be a, a talk on each component on the, of the exam, and then you'll get to see previous uh, successful candidates um, do some stations. So um, I, what are you doing this year, Yogi? Uh, so I, so fortunately, both myself and Sam um, have been asked to uh, come back to WAVE as uh, instructors or examiners. Uh, so my area of discussion for the course uh, was centred on clinical decision-making. So you got the hard, the hard one, basically. I got shafted. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> you, you can't prepare for it as well as the others. But I guess um, uh, I agree with you entirely, Sam. I think WAVE really exists about trying to develop some yep. um, experience especially for a lot of us who it's been a long time since we've done a short case or a long case uh but also the vibers and how do you approach it what are they trying to get at how do you answer a question how do you structure your response uh which is all very important as you head into your exam year in terms of practice and preparation for the exam itself um and you're doing it in a very non-judgmental open um process and i think the feedback that you get actually makes you stronger uh in terms of building confidence for you heading into the exam itself but also confidence as you head into abt so you've got some idea what you're what's anticipated as you head into the room how did you feel about abt uh so ABT stands for the Adelaide Vascular Trials, um, and so um, it's been a um, foundation course within vascular fellowship examination preparation for many years. Um, and whilst typically was run in Adelaide, last year was in Brisbane, I believe this year it's returning back to Adelaide. And fundamentally it's one of those courses that you hear about as a set one and you think i'll never get to that point in my training and then when you eventually get there you realize just what sort of weight you're about to carry on your shoulders as you step into the room but the adelaide vascular exams is a fantastic opportunity uh that is provided to us by the general generous people who are involved in the course 
in terms of getting you into exam mode, really upskilling you to defend your position, um, be able to demonstrate your knowledge, and also succeed in getting through the process itself. The Adelaide Vascular Exam is more a complete reflection of the exam itself from the structure that's undertaken with the opportunity of doing the vivas on numerous occasions to build up your confidence. And there is also a written paper that's part of the exam which allows you to prepare yourself for that part of the process as well. How well do you think AVT simulates the exam? Uh, I think I found AVT this uh, last year, sorry, to be near equivalent to the exam. I, it, it perhaps was a little bit more contrived in the sense that it was um, perhaps the examiners were a little bit more strict, uh, especially with um, the responses that you gave in ABT. But saying that, though, um, I think the ABT and the exam were uh, were similar on many on many fronts. I think the other important aspect of ABT is that you do get scored all the way through it, so you have an idea of mm-hmm. where where you have flaws. And I think as a trainee, you should embrace the idea that holes in your knowledge get picked out because that's where you can improve and that's how you can step yourself up. There's no point being told you're great uh, because. Um, Everyone knows you're good enough to sit the exam. You now need to pass the exam. Did you did you feel that the um, questions that you were asked were of uh, similar difficulty to the real exam? I guess the feedback I had heard previously was that sometimes the questions you get asked are somewhat difficult. Yeah, did you I find don't... that to be the case? I, I definitely thought it would be I, – I've I definitely heard the stories out of ABT of people feeling de- demoralised. You know, I, I took the approach that I wanted to get better and I wanted to know where I could get better. Um, I did feel like coming into ABT, I was reaching the pinnacle of my study. So I – came into it hopeful that I was ready to perform at the level that was required to sit the exam. So I guess the summary point there being uh, I found ABT to be very appropriate at the right time to build me up and to sort of provide feedback to me that was constructive in terms of my preparation for the exam. Would, Would you agree that that was a pretty fair assessment of the course? Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I, again, heard similar stories that, well, I heard multiple people say that the real exam is much easier than AVT, maybe in terms of length, maybe, or sorry, I should say maybe due to the fact that it's longer, it feels more difficult, but I didn't think that the overall uh, content was any easier or harder than the real exam. So I think it simulates the real exam really quite well. Um, but coming to what you said about, you know, feeling that you had peak knowledge around that time, I certainly tried to feel that I would try and be ready for the real exam by AVT time. I feel like that was a, that's a good benchmark to try and set yourself or a good, you know, hurdle to try and jump over. I don't think I was quite there at the time and I found some areas that I was a bit weaker in than I thought. And then on the flip side, there were some areas that I was a bit stronger than I thought. So again, I think that just reflects the uh, quality of the course. So um, I guess my one piece of advice from this is try and get to AVT um, ready to sit the real thing if, if you can. And I think you'll try, you'll potentially get uh, a bit more out of it. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the uh, important point to remember is ABT typically sits about a month prior to the written and about two and a half months prior to the clinical. So you're um, you're really coming towards the tail end of your study. Uh, and uh, as you head into ABT, um, hopefully, as Sam as Sam says, you're ready to ready to go, gangbusters on the fellowship exam. 
Um, and I guess this is a, an important stepping stone to our next discussion point, which is uh, your study timetable, Sam. Um, when did you start thinking about the fellowship study timetable and um, how did you come up with one or did you have one? And um, what was the relevance of study groups in that in that process? Well, uh, as you know, I might have a slightly more controversial approach to the study timetable, but uh, I first started thinking about studying uh, in th- third year. I may have read one chapter in all of third year and probably actually started in in fourth year. But um, I, you know, you hear about people starting ridiculously early. I don't know if that's actual study or just learning. You know just learning the, the thing you're going to potentially do for the rest of your career. So I, I genuinely started proper fellowship exam preparation uh, fourth year, um, and that was pretty early on in the year. Um, but the study was fairly light for the first six months, and then it got pretty um, sort of moved towards more full-time study um, uh, in the second second half of the year. And then the first half of set five, it really obviously started to ramp up and then the exam got cancelled, as we'll touch on a bit later. But um, personally, you know, I don't think uh, I had multiple versions of study timetables and what I kind of learned, and this is just my own experience, but I, I don't think doing the job we do, we can realistically make a study timetable that you can um, stick to. I think it's all a bit of a pipe dream to be honest but what i did find more effective was just to make a list of everything i wanted to read and then i read just read them on my own terms and then once i had done them i had uh, ticked i would just tick them off and then i would just set myself a reminder a few weeks or a few days later to reread it so that that item would then stay in my you know memory bank rather than being forgotten what is, what were your thoughts yeah, I mean, I think for many, many trainees, the set four year is a big year uh, because it's you've just stepped out of your set three job and you feel like you've developed some competencies in doing some slightly more advanced surgical procedures um, and you're building up your repertoire of technical skills they can perform and you end up in a job which requires you to essentially be the senior trainee usually within that unit, which comes with uh, a significant amount of responsibility and hours at work. And I agree with you, Sam, that often a be- a, your best laid plans of trying to do a chapter a night or a couple of chapters a week soon get disrupted. And and I guess that's where it's important that you do give yourself enough of a lead in so that you have enough time to cover some of that core knowledge from Rutherford's or Oxford, depending on what textbook you want to use, to then uh, get yourself um, in the right frame of mind. Um, so to put that into perspective, uh, I spent my fourth year in a uh, in a job which was reasonably busy uh, and had a lot of after hours work. And so um, I found trying to develop a study timetable helpful, which I did start towards the middle half of my set four year. Um, with the perspective that I would ramp up as I got towards the end of my set four year and started and the start of my set five year. Um, Sam, as, as you probably know very well, our, our study group initially was very difficult to try and get people together just because it's be- sometimes being at work was a better option than having to study about things that you didn't really want to read about. Yep. Um, and so um, I think initially we found it very hard actually to get together on a regular basis. However, I think as we got into our set five year, it really became much more evident of how important it was to debrief, talk through issues, answer questions and talk through topics, uh, but also use it as a moment to sort of support each other um, and do uh, you know, just look after our own mental health and have the opportunity to debrief about things that were going on in and around life. Uh, and I think your study group forms part of that process. It's not only there to support you academically, but I, th- I think also to support you psychosocially as as you go through one of the more difficult periods in your life. Just came back to the whole thing about study groups. You know, 
I think we struggle to get everyone together at the same time. And eventually we just moved, well, for, for whatever reason, I was the organizer. But at the end of the day, I think, you know, it's really hard to get people together. And uh, as we moved towards a virtual platform or when we started using Zoom to uh, prepare for the exam, I think we just started saying we're meeting this time. You know, whoever wants to turn up can turn up. And, you know, I think that was potentially a bit easier. Yeah, and, and, I, and I have to give credit to Sam because we, um, you know, your approach to forming a study group was a very open process to try and get as many voices and a many as many people in to our study group to try and broaden that experience. And I think it is important that you have uh, that collegiality between trainees as you head into one of the more difficult times in your life as you're trying to develop and succeed in your um, training and education as you head towards your fellowship exam. How did you uh, actually study yoga? Did you were you a pen and paper man? So I I think as with many trainees, um, I had multi, I had sort of took a multimodal approach to training, which was. Um, I had palm cards, I had, uh, and some electronic based notes, which I would, um, sort of update and then have, um, the ability to look at it remotely on my phone or on my computer if I needed to through the day. So you were using, uh, Dropbox, Dropbox paper, I, right? Yeah. So I used, uh, I used Dropbox paper as a means to write my notes and then I could look at them on my phone as I went through the day. Um, but I had palm cards for in particular the imaging viva because I found it e- much easier to then flick through quick short points um, in preparation to a topic itself. Um, separate to all of this, I then also had a folder of just journal articles that were important that I wanted to read in preparation for the fellowship exam. Um, needless to say, the fellowship exam is not about regurgitation of evidence uh, in the absolute verbatim nature in which some of the scientific discussion is, but it's about the understanding of why a decision is made. So uh, whilst journal articles are important and they help formulate your approach, they're um, one part of a larger discussion about are you a safe surgeon? Um, Sam, were you more... Were you purely more electronic or did you have some paper to your to your sort of notes or how did you approach just, that? Just before I uh, answer that, Yogi, I, yes. I think you sort of touch on a good point that uh, pre-exam candidates may wonder. Did you reference uh, many journal articles or papers in your answers for the exam, whether that be in the written or the vivas? I think when relevant, so um, it, often with the vivers, there's simply not enough time to then go into the nitty-gritty of a particular reference paper. However, it's pretty fair to say that the examiners have a very broad understanding of a global range of topics. And mm. what they want to hear from a candidate is that they are a safe surgeon. And now sometimes it is important to reflect on the evidence that's out there to help guide you, but to be able to go down to the nitty-gritty of the paper, the number of you know the number of patients in the paper, and all that sort of stuff, you just simply do not have that time. What about so, um, let's say you were asked about a uh, symptomatic carotid? Would you be would you feel comfortable talking about NASET at all? Yeah, I mean, I think the landmark, sorry, the landmark trials in vascular surgery are important, and I think it is important to have a good feel on um, the carotid trials in particular, uh, in particular in terms of number needed to treat, or the percentage reduction with, you know, for best medical therapy versus best medical therapy versus carotid indirectomy. So I think. In certain circumstances, they're probably relevant. Another situation that that may be relevant would be the INSTEAD trial and the INSTEAD mm-hmm. Excel trial. I think that's another situation which would be useful. And um, the current sort of um, evidence in regards to ali ephemeral DVTs, particularly the attractile or cavernant, 
and understanding the for and against is a, probably a very relevant area that's worth mm -hmm. thinking about. And I think another relevant area is the current controversies with endovascular abdominal aortic aneurysm repairs with EVAR1 and the long-term EVAR1 follow-up and what that means for practice and also the implications of the EVAR2 trial. Yep. So I think there are certain landmark papers that are valuable to know about. And I think similarly, there are important guidelines that are worth knowing about. But in preparation for your exam, you've probably already gone through all this content. It's about structuring those answers with reference to them without going into the finer minutiae because you simply don't have the time. Did you, so you didn't bring up any uh, papers during the CDM and in the, the paper I'm, so the station I'm thinking about is the, is the one about preoperative workup for a, was it, I think we had a juxtarenal AAA in a yes. middle-aged patient. Yes. So I think in that, in answering that question, I referenced, um, the most recent American Heart Association guidelines to try yeah. and provide some guidance in terms of that, but also talked about my process of stratification um, uh, in terms of preoperative planning for a patient as well. So the the short answer is yes, when relevant. However, often the examiners want to get you to flesh out some of that content um, instead of trying to describe to them the revised cardiac index score, which you may want to talk about instead. I guess uh, a point to mention um, is that if you if you do start talking about papers, you have to be prepared to then answer questions about more papers, which may take you somewhere you may not be entirely comfortable about. So yeah. I think on that question, you know, I did I did mention the. Um, American Heart Association guidelines. I also talked about the uh, CARP trial and some of the limitations of the, of that study. And uh, I think there was a study by someone called Monaco, but um, the examiner then asked, started asking me about frailty scores, which I had a vague understanding of, but nothing I felt very comfortable with. And um, so if you do start, you know, uh, going down that path, be prepared to be able to qualify your response or answer further questions about evidence. Yeah, and I, I mean, I, a, a wise vascular surgeon up here in Brisbane um, told me that really the the fellowship exam and the viva is is akin to um, uh, a, a rally in tennis. You want to gently get the ball across over the net uh, without trying to force a forehand backhand winner because the, the examiner will almost drill it down the center line before you know it. Um, and that's, so, that's good. I like that. so you, you just want to gently lob information back yep. and receive it and then play your a safe stroke back. And I agree. I think the exam is, if, if the best way to think about it is it's a pick your own adventure sort of setup. If you're uh, if you are game to provide the evidence, you've got to be ready to back yourself to then keep going. The one thing to uh, as you do more and more practice with you know wave AVT uh, previous candidates, you will realize that you will get the best out of yourself, but you will figure out a way to get what you need out of the examiners to to keep it in a uh, safe zone to avoid those uh, yep. down-the-line winners. And you'll get burnt along the process, and that's how you then restructure your approach. Yeah, so I think one thing we saw is that people in our study group who seem somewhat combative, um, um, you know, I, I suspect that sometimes those people, uh, you know, not got into arguments with examiners, but perhaps um, got put onto the back foot a bit, you know, too quickly and may have suffered for that. Yeah, and I think that's uh, I think that's a fair reflection of the challenges that you face as the candidate going into the exam. Um, but you know, I think part of part of being the candidate is you've got to learn to duck and weave, and you've got to be ready to you know uh, float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. Yeah. Uh, so just coming back to you know you're talking about how you use Dropbox pa Dropbox paper, and you asked me what. Uh, 
yes system i was using so um i was uh, a you know paperless studier so i collected uh everything in an application called devonthink um so i downloaded uh, or i was able to download all the rutherford chapters from the college of surgeons website and um, i would then store them in devonthink with um, separate sections for the oxford textbook as well as various journal articles, up-to-date articles, which I uh, thought were useful. Um, and then I would then extract um, the data or the important content uh, out of uh, the, the individual PDFs and uh, store them in a separate note-taking app. I think um, two that I would recommend, one was called Rome Research, which I found excellent. And there's also another one called Notion, uh, which I would also recommend for this sort of thing. You know, these note-taking aggregation tools are, are really quite powerful. And then I used uh, Rome Research to generate flashcards and I labelled them as either high, medium or low in terms of how important I thought they were. And right before the exam, I'd, I was really concentrating on those uh, ones I thought uh, were of uh, high importance. And I think um, uh, both of us had um, uh, a way of being able to use that information that was collected electronically but allowed us the ability to assess things on the go remotely, which I think is important. Yep. In your day-to-day -day job as a registrar, you have moments of time between cases. Uh, a colleague of ours talked about preparing for an operative biver as he was scrubbing for an operation. And I think every moment that you have to sort of talk through um, um, a discussion point with someone uh, to get yourself into the exam frame of mind is a really important process of preparing for the exam. I think ultimately, you know, the tools you use are somewhat less important than the process. So if you can create for yourself a study process which you can repeat on a frequent basis then that will really lead to success rather than trying to continue to reinvent the wheel all the time remember that you've got to be kind to yourself as you prepare for the exam your process of learning will change and what works for you in um july the year before may not work for you as you head into the exam itself so be ready to move um with with yourself and um be ready to accept that there will be change along the way and that is entirely okay i think yogi just to sum up we might uh talk about uh, a little thing called COVID. yes and how it uh impacted on the exam and i think in coming episodes we will talk about the individual uh viva components in more detail and how we approach them but how did uh, how did COVID uh, how did COVID ref, uh, impact your exam? Uh, it's fairly uh, it's fairly fair to say that um, COVID had not as much of an effect up in Queensland as it probably did in Victoria or New South Wales, especially in the time of the year that we set our exam. And I do very, feel very very um, empathetic towards our. Victorian colleagues um, as they set their fellowship exam. Uh, for us up in Queensland, fortunately, we've had very low local spread. Uh, and, um, and that has meant that um, whilst hospital environments were tightly controlled, uh, by the time the exam came around, the role of face masks or surgical face masks and PPE were really only restricted to those of suspected COVID cases and those who were confirmed COVID cases. And so the general populace could travel around clinical environments without wearing a face mask. Um, and that made the exam also less difficult from my perspective as it, it just felt like um, what the exam would have felt like in any other year. Um, so to be very honest with you, um, COVID had very little change in my exam and my exam experience, rather. Uh, however, Sam, I'm very well aware of the challenges that you went through uh, in sitting your exam, not only from 
having a letter written from the college to allow you to be traveling between hospital environments, but also the PPE that was required as you went into the exam itself. Yeah, so more or less, we were really in the depths of the uh, second wave in Victoria and uh, uh, leaving home was, uh, you know, you needed uh, explicit reasons to, to leave your house at that stage. And yeah, you're right, we needed, or we carried with us a letter from the, from the college saying we, <laughs> we, can, we can be outside and traveling. Um, so yeah, in short, um, you know, we did the fivers with face mask and um, the, pay, the the component of the exam, which involved uh, patient interaction, was again done with patients wearing masks, uh, us wearing masks, and face shields, uh, which obviously made things slightly more challenging. I think, however, you know, the real uh, learning point was I, I personally I, a month or two out from the exam, I wasn't really sure it was gonna it was gonna happen as we saw the numbers continue to climb and. Um, uh, you you know you and I both were planning to sit in April May and then all of a sudden the exam um, got pulled out from under us and um, we weren't sure if we were even going to sit in 2020. Um, so you know the real the real kicker I think was the delay in the um, exam sitting rather than the you know doing it in in PPE. So. Did you feel that, you know, you benefited having more time to study or you or potentially no? I, I mean, I, I think this is potentially a reality that's going to be upcoming for the current group of set flyers and potentially even into 2022 that there may be a delay to the exam sitting due to complexities locally and nationally. Um to be very honest with you, with the delay, it did, exam, it did extend my exam fatigue. And by the time I set the exam, I probably was well and truly over the process of being examined, not only within my unit or by my colleagues, but also in preparation for the exam itself. So it was nice to be able to sit the exam. And I think there's two relevant points here. Um, one is that for the written exam, because we congregated with a larger group of trainees, uh, our temperature was taken on entry, and so that still may be a protocol as you head into the exam. It'll be worthwhile remembering that. So if you are febrile, you'd be asked to step away or you have any respiratory symptoms. And I think it's important to also know that the college was uh, very accommodating at the end of the day to try and put on an exam, especially for vascular surgery, which did have patient contact, which is extremely unusual when compared to the other subspecialties as most of them had gone away from having any patient contact at all and um, we we're very fortunate that the board of vascular surgery and the college allowed that to proceed yeah so um, in many ways we're in a very fortunate position um, that we were able to sit in the exam but i think to our uh, set five trainees uh, as you step into fellowship mode be ready that things may change very quickly in your preparation or in your in what's your what's anticipated for the exam, and as such, um, be um, um, be ready to sort of go with the flow of things as they occur. Yep. All very good points, uh, Yogi. Um, you know, I was personally quite petrified of rocking up to the exam with a fever and. Being told that's it, go home and uh, see yep. you next year, and <laughs> yeah, you know what a what a disaster that would have been. But um, and I, and I, yeah. and I think it goes back to the point that you know when we were talking about preparing for the exam, mm -hmm. whether it whether it is actually relevant to take two weeks off and quarantine yourself from people yeah. if you're in the height of a COVID crisis, and I think. The, these sort of these sort of uh, situations are hard to predict as you stand now, but well worth thinking about as you get closer. So, uh, leave is important, and preparing for the exam with leave is is vital. But also remember that you may also need to isolate yourself to try and avoid um, sort of complications associated with COVID at this point in time. Yeah, I imagine uh, as we get closer to the next scene, COVID will most likely still be a factor. So, yep. you know, I would be very careful the two weeks prior to the exam, you know, where you're going, 
who you're interacting with, you know, limit any chance that you could be a close contact or be in a hotspot and be tapped on the shoulder and say, sorry, you need to isolate for two weeks. And then all of a sudden, you know, your exam's over. So, I mean, I, I was a close contact with someone. I sat in a control room with a radiographer who had uh, COVID and, you know, got told to go home for two weeks. You know, if that was the week before the exam, you know, it would have been an absolute disaster. Disaster. So, yeah. 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 And hopefully with the COVID vaccination, um, hopefully society and the, the sort of challenges that we've had when society will lift. However, um, you know, the, these are ongoing issues and um, hopefully with the 2021 um, trainees sitting their fellowship exam, less of a concern and um, really do hope you don't have any of those issues. Well, um, Sam, I guess um, with all of that, uh, I think it's uh, a good point just to call an end to our first podcast. And I, I thank you for the opportunity to do that. And I hope this becomes uh, a fruitful discussion uh, on areas of relevance to trainees and Australasian vascular surgeons. Um, and we hope to generate interest within the community to try and open up that dialogue of communication across all spectrums of vascular surgeons and trainees and also unaccredited registrars who also form a very important part of our community in practice. Thanks, Yogi. Quick question. Yep. When you're doing a retrograde pedal access kit or you just use a normal micropuncture? Mate, micro, little micropuncture with ultrasound is the way I go. How about yourself? Oh, always ultrasound. <laughs>